Well, if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to ask you to go to Acts chapter 8 with me this morning. Acts chapter 8. It is good to be with you. I hope you don't mind. I didn't put the blazer on. It was just too hot, and that's a good complaint to have in Newfoundland and Labrador. But as you turn with me to Luke, or sorry, Acts, Acts chapter 8, I'd like to read verses 26 to 40 as we are in our fourth week of our summer series. If you remember, we started it about four weeks ago. What is a biblically healthy post-COVID church? What is it going to look like for us to be a functioning, healthy church as we kind of move to the next direction of COVID. And so I want you to think about that as I read this particular passage. So let's look at God's Word together. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. This is the Word of the Lord that Dr. Luke recorded. He said, And now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And notice, and Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. In other words, he was the finance minister, the financial secretary for her kingdom. And notice it says in verse 27 at the end, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, and it's Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Basically, he's saying, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with his scripture... He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded, this is the eunuch did, the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. But he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Astos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea that if we're going to be a biblically healthy church, we have to be a church that understands and practices biblical evangelism. This is what I want us to think about. If you remember, we talked about what a church actually is. A church is created and initiated by God. It's not man-made. It's created by God. We see from scriptures that only those who have a real and honest relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord 
are truly those who make up the church. And the result and the testimony of this is the church is made up then of those who are not only right with God, but they also who are right with each other. And they're working at being right with each other. And this, of course, isn't because professing Christians are better. It's not because we're smarter or that we've got some secret formula on life. In other words, God is the one. God is the only one who saves us. God is the only one that can save anybody. And the clearest and most significant mark of a true Christian, and I hope you'll listen to me in the last of, Jan- of, of June, sorry, of 2022, is that of humility and thankfulness. That is the disposition of an honest Christian. If you remember after that, Brother Steve, who prayed just then, taught us that a healthy church is one that longs for and needs and seeks for preaching of God's Word. And we want it not just to be preached, but we want it to be these two big words, expositional and exegetical. And all that means is we preach all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We don't cherry pick it. We want all of the Bible preached and taught to us, and we seek to understand it from the point of view of taking from the Bible. In other words, it's exegetical, it's exegesis. We take it from the Bible. We don't bring or project our world or ourselves into the Bible. For instance, in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible that everybody gets a bit fascinated with, don't forget that Revelation is actually written to seven churches. Seven churches that were real churches. They were functioning churches at the time of the writing of the book. In fact, Steve and I were talking about it, and I love the way Steve Da said this. He said, when you are reading Revelation, you're actually reading someone else's mail. That's a great way to think about it. Many of the Bible, much of the Bible after Luke, or sorry, Acts, is like you're reading somebody else's mail. So Revelation wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And I want you to catch that. And then, last week, I focused on the fact that a healthy church is gospel-focused. And that is, we want Calvary Baptist, we want Downtown Community Church, and Kilbride Community Church, and Northern Cross Community Church. In fact, my prayer is that every church in this city will be gospel-focused. We will know and understand what the gospel actually is. And the proof that you know what the gospel is, is proven because it creates a gospel culture. And what that means is we live out and apply the gospel in our lives and the lives of those around us. So, what does that mean practically? Listen to me on a day after. In America, there's all kinds of political upheaval. In Canada, there's all kinds of political upheaval. And even though we have access to all this social media, let me say this to Christians. If you're here this morning and you claim to be a Christian... A healthy church that has a gospel focus and a gospel culture means we speak the truth, but it's always with love. It means we're firm in our convictions, but we're very gentle and patient in how we express them. We believe in the whole Bible and everything that the Bible says, but we acknowledge that God is in the work of transforming us. We don't transform each other. God transforms us. So every one of us should be known not by our angry tweets 
and our confrontational Facebook statuses. We shouldn't be known for getting up in the grills of people that we don't agree with. We should be known as long-suffering people, kind and meek as we walk this road called life. You see, the gospel is perfect, but we're not. And we live life in prayer and patience in how we speak and treat each other. Which brings me to our topic for today. If we are going to be a healthy church as we come out of COVID, Lord willing, even though there's threats of seventh waves and then there's Freudian slips from the president who says there's something else coming and there's monkey pox and everything else, I get it. I get it. Inf- inflation is, is high and we're wondering about home prices and renting and finances and jobs and all these things. But we need to be a healthy biblical church, which means we've got a healthy biblical understanding of evangelism and we actually practice it. Because if we seek to win others to Jesus, we need to do so with the right words, in the right way, and for the right reasons. Let me give you an example of this. There's a great urban myth out there amongst Christianity of a video, a viral video, of a self-proclaimed atheist named Penn Fraser Gillette. Many of you might know him from that magic team, Penn and Teller. Okay? This YouTube video was actually posted by a group called thinkchristian.net. And back in the day, they recorded Penn is giving this powerful monologue about a polite and kind businessman who gave him a Gideon's Bible. Touched by the man's gesture, this is what Penn said, looking into the camera for this particular website and these people, he says, if you believe there is a heaven and hell and you think it's not worth telling someone about it, how much do you have to hate him not to proselytize? He said, to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell anyone, well, this man cared enough about me to actually try and convince me to believe as he does. Penn's video was created as a part of this conversation on thinkchristian.net. And that was the exact purpose of their ministry. One of the leaders of it said, our goal is to engage Christians in a dialogue that challenges them to think about the intersection of faith and culture. And it did exactly that. But here's what fascinated me. It wasn't so much what Penn said as it was what Christian said on this website in response to it. One guy named Ken said this. Thank you so much for sharing this video. I have the most difficult time sharing the gospel. So so because I do so rarely and I often feel guilty about it. Ken went on to say, I think part of the reason I have this problem is because of what I believe others' perception is of Christians. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but I am a little ashamed of what I perceive our Christian image to the world is. He goes on to write, this video is very encouraging, and Penn lets us know that how we approach people can override that image. So when we share the gospel lovingly, it will convey that we are not condemning the person, but that we're concerned for their soul. One other person commented this, I'm glad to see Penn say how he was touched by this man's caring act. We all need to be praying for the salvation of Penn and Teller and so many others. And not just pray, we are called to be witnesses and to share the good news with all people. That's every Christian's calling. 
Now the reality is, did this one act of giving Penn a Bible change the man's mind and heart? As far as we know to this day, no. But do we believe that God will continue to work in this man's life? Penn finished up his interview for the people at this particular website, and he says, bottom line is, I don't believe there's a God, and no polite person living his life right doesn't change that. But it sure made me think that this guy actually cared about me. And it's obvious that he would finish his video that way, that already Penn was wrestling with this man's one act of kindness. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, said this, Contemporary preaching suffers from a loss of confidence in the power of the Word of God. From an infatuation with technology, from an embarrassment before the biblical text of the Bible, from an evacuation of biblical content, from a focus on felt needs, from an absence of the gospel. And Mark Dever writes, The gospel is the heart of Christianity, and it should be at the heart of our churches. So Calvary Baptist, with all of our ministries, as we get ready for the summer of 2022, and what does the fall and Christmas look like for us as we start to move forward, Lord willing, maskless, and who knows what we may face next, but are we going to say the gospel is the heart of Calvary Baptist Church? As we celebrate being a growing church with growing ministries, as we are overwhelmed by God's provision and His protection, are we actually ready and willing and able, and will we be equipped to center everything we do and say on the gospel of Jesus Christ? We need to be a church where every member from the youngest to the oldest, from infants in the faith to those who would claim to be mature in the faith, we can all unite around the wonderful good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Every verse in your Bible points to the gospel. The message of the Bible is God revealing himself so he can redeem a people for his glory. And that's why one man said, more than anything else in the church's life, the members of a healthy church, are you ready for this? Pray and long to know and share the gospel more deeply. So, let me ask you all a question. How are you at evangelism? At sharing your faith? What comes to your mind? How do you feel emotionally when someone says, quoting Jesus to his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How do you feel when you hear verses like Jesus quoted in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he told his disciples in the 120, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be, not you shall be or I hope you will be, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. What do you and I even think evangelism is today in a post-Christian culture like Canada? Do you really think it's still knocking on doors or bus ministries? Passing out tracts, 
standing on the corner with a big billboard that says the world is coming to an end? Do you think in only terms of Romans Road or using methods like evangelism explosion? Or what about that old faithful saying that I grew up on, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? As if you're flipping a coin. Now, listen to me. I am not being critical of the motive behind most of those things. They were done by dear saints who desperately wanted to see people to come to Jesus. But I don't apologize for asking this question, and that is, is that what the Bible says evangelism is? Especially based on Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40? In Acts chapter 8, we've got this incredible story from Dr. Luke, who is the author, about the conversion, and catch this, of actually the first Gentile since Pentecost, since the Holy Spirit came. This even predates Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. But I want you to see the very practical applications, because if this is going to make sense, and I want to call you to some sort of action, as well as myself, I want you to understand, number one, evangelism is always God's initiative. And we need to get that more than anything in 2022. Evangelism is always God's initiative. It's not yours or mine. What an amazing thought, really, right? God calls Philip. Look at it. Now the angel of the Lord, in verse 26, said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And that's all God told him. God didn't tell him, I'm going to send you down there and you're going to encounter someone. He just said, go there. And from a human perspective, Philip could have easily said, um, Spirit of God, like, I don't think you've got a, an atlas. You need to pull up your apple and talk to Surrey again because you're sending me into a desert place. But he doesn't do that. This was the initiative of God. Philip is just a regular Joe. He's likely, most likely one of the first deacons, but we know he's a man of God. And the Spirit of God says, go down to this place. From human perspective, it looks like a desert. Now, I don't know about you, but that wouldn't be my first, <laughs> first place to get an evangelism program off the ground. I wouldn't call you together and say, you know what? Let's go out on the Tilton Barrens and let's start evangelizing. But when you think about what happens, people are getting saved. If you read earlier in Acts chapter 8, God is using Philip in Samaria. We're seeing all kinds of people come to Christ. And yet now God's going to call them out of that and send them from a place of earthly perspective that doesn't make any sense. But I want you to notice, secondly, evangelism is our obedient method to share the gospel. So evangelism is always God initiated, but evangelism is our obedient method to share the gospel. The Spirit tells him to go down, and then notice as it goes along, it says, He arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And the Spirit of God, in verse 29, said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. In other words... Philip is simply being obedient to the moving, the prompting of the Spirit of God. The Lord told him to go down there. There's nobody down there. Wouldn't you know what? He gets down there. There's a fella down there. And then Philip figures, well, if God told me to go down there, I guess I should go talk to the fella. And he goes and he engages him in a conversation. Notice, I, I love this, Philip doesn't argue with God. He doesn't say, Lord, I don't know how. He doesn't say, Lord, I don't know what to say. 
He doesn't say, Lord, this guy's a Gentile or some other unloving, uncaring remark. He simply obeys. He listens to the Spirit leading. And as often as I'm often asked, why don't we see the Spirit work more in our day? Well, here's what I think is the answer to that. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. Now let me give you a little secret about that. Because according to Paul, the only way to be filled with the Spirit is to be actually in His Word and in prayer. And then he listens to Him and he asks us to do things. So do you want to see the Spirit of God move at Calvary or at Mile One Mission or in the city of St. John's? We don't have to whip ourselves up into a frenzy. We don't have to conjure up emotional ups and downs and highs and lows. We just need to, every day, through the mundane, through the regular parts of life, be in the Word of God and in prayer and say, Spirit of the living God, speak to me and do something in our lives, and He will. And He will give you and I opportunities, God-initiated opportunities, for us to be obedient to share the gospel. And I love how Philip approaches the situation. Look at it. He goes up to him. He hears him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he simply asks a very unoffensive question. Do you understand what you're reading? He doesn't say, you know, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? He doesn't ask weird questions, awkward. He simply engages him in what he's doing. He engages this man in his real life. He goes, you're reading the Bible. Do you, what do you think of it? Do, do you understand what you're reading? And every one of us deals with people in everyday real life. I don't know why we think we've got to conjure up a bait-and-switch method instead of just being honest friends, real people, engaging in life, and then bringing the gospel to bear in everyday life. He basically says, do you know what you're reading? He's not aggressive. He's conversational. He has an actual desire to be helpful. He puts it out there. He lets the Holy Spirit open the door. And remember, this is probably something he'd heard about with Jesus. Remember Jesus in back in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well? And the woman comes there, and here's Jesus, a rabbi, a Jewish person. She's unveiled, and he simply says, would you help me get some water? He gently engages her in real life. There's no gimmick. There's no bait and switch. There's no fakeness about it. You see, evangelism is not just a service or a program. Evangelism is our privilege. In Romans chapter 10, Paul would say, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless some are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard from us? And then he says this most amazing statement. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's obedient methodology. God has given us the task, Calvary, to tell others about God who has done for us what he is telling others can happen to them. It's not about yelling and screaming at the world, talking down to them and condescending. It's not about this judgmental, self-righteous attitude. It's going to the world and telling them what God has done for us, He'll do for them. 
do you see the difference between winning arguments and winning souls? Between screaming at the world versus pleading with them. Read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 again. Read uh, Paul with the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. I'd encourage you to actually read the book of Revelation and stop treating it like the Star Wars book of the Bible. Stop trying to use it like it's the magic eight ball of Scripture. What might surprise you in, in some of the most dark spots of Revelation in 13 to 17 are actually promises of the gospel being shared with planet earth and a Thousands upon thousands responding. And yet so often we use it as a book to browbeat people over the head. That's not biblical evangelism. So number three, biblical evangelism is about honest persuasion, never human coercion. You need to get that. Biblical evangelism is about an honest persuasion. It's never human coercion. Philip is invited to sit up with this man. Look at it. He invites him to come up, and in verse 35, it's the key verse of the old one. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him what? The good news about Jesus. Never. He told him how he was wrong with everything he did in life, and Philip was right, and so he should believe like Philip. That's not what the passage says. Philip opens his mouth, and he begins with the Bible. He doesn't begin with a sales pitch. He doesn't engage the guy in argumentation. He doesn't try to overwhelm him. He begins with the Bible and he simply tells him, there's good news. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you there's hope. Let me tell you that life can be way better than it is. Let me tell you that your fears and your doubts and your questions and your hurts and your anger all find answers in God's word in the person of Jesus. Here's my question. Do we believe that? You've heard me say it. I get it. God has gifted me. I, I'm not afraid to be up here and speak in front of people. Words have never been my problem. But I'll tell you one thing about my faith. I'm not a salesman. I'm a client. I do this not because this was the best option for me in a career choice. I do this because Jesus Christ literally saved my life. I am convinced with all my heart that if I had not been found by Christ, I wouldn't be alive. I was doing everything to ruin my life. And God in His mercy loved me and saved me and changed me. And it wasn't because anybody forced me to or threatened me to or connived me to do it. In fact, outside of being married to my glorious wife, I was as far away from all peer pressure and parental guidance and all kinds of church pressure that I have ever been able to be away. I was living in Halifax. I knew nobody. I could invent any version of myself. And it was there in June of 1993 that God showed himself to me on a Saturday and I met a Savior who would change my life. And that's what I love to tell people about. So what is evangelism's goal? It's not to convert someone. It's to point them to Christ who alone can save. 
And so what we need to do, we need to give people the good news. What is the good news? The good news of Jesus Christ is that God is alive. God is real. He is holy and righteous. He is all-powerful. He created everything. He controls everything. And He's justifiably holy. And nothing unholy can be in His presence. And because He's righteous and holy, He must deal with sin. And mankind, every single one of us, disobeys the rule of God. I got asked recently from a news reporter in the last few months if I believed a certain segment of our culture were really messed up and, 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 and we shouldn't be invited into church and that their default position of churches is that Christians think this segment of the culture are just really crazy people. And so it was a really gotcha kind of question. This reporter was trying to set me up to say that I was against a certain type of culture or a segment of our culture. And I said, I don't think they're messed up. I think we're all messed up. There's 8 billion people on planet Earth and every one of us has a messed up story. So I don't look at anybody on planet Earth and think, now they're messed up. I look at every single human being on planet Earth and go, I am just like them. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I want to tell them that Jesus loves them too. And you know what? Jesus, not Steve Bray, not Calvary Baptist, not being a Baptist, not being religious. Jesus changes the lives of messed up people. Who can change the leper's spots? You know who? The gospel. Jesus Christ. So God, who was rich in mercy because of great love, He sent His only eternal Son, born of the Virgin Mary, and Christ, and only Christ from Adam to now, has ever lived a perfect life, died a truly innocent death, rose victorious over sin, death, and Satan. And now through that perfect obedience, God can say, if anyone will trust Jesus I will forgive you for eternity. Past, present, and future. That's what Philip speaks about to this Ethiopian eunuch. That's what the Holy Spirit uses to change the hearts of men and women. So evangelism isn't about coercion or manipulation. It's about love. It's declaration. It's being honest. I love the fact that Bible start, Philip sorry, starts with the Bible and he ends with the Bible. You see, real conversion means we trust and turn to Christ alone. Honest conversion is we rest in Christ, who He is, what He has done, and what He tells us about ourselves. We need to tell the world, everybody on planet Earth, you'll never go to church enough, you'll never do enough good, you'll never give enough money, you'll never be kind enough, or beautiful enough, or happy enough, or content enough, whether you seek those things in church or in any other hobby or lifestyle. True happiness, true peace, true understanding is only from God through Jesus by His Holy Spirit. And so, when we invite people to repent of their sin and have a change of heart, we're not telling them what to do, we're inviting them to trust God who can do that for them. And that's why the prophet Ezekiel, quoting God, says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And that's why we use the term, this churchy term. What did we, we use this one, Kate, being born again. It is a crazy term, but it is actually a Jesus expression. 
In John chapter 3, when that Jewish Pharisee named Nicodemus went to him and he wanted to know, how can I live forever? How can I know I can have eternal life? It was Jesus' words, not mine, not a denomination's, not a pope's, nobody. It was Jesus who said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he or she cannot see the kingdom of God. And even Nicodemus was, what do you, what do you mean be born again? How can someone be born again if they're old? He literally tries to wrap his head around what Jesus is saying. And that's why Jesus would go on to say, and for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his one and only son, I'm the guy. And that if you will believe in me, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it means to be born again. We sang it in one of the songs. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of His mercy see. Wonderful words of life. And that's why Joel the prophet said, Everyone and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice with me, Philip points the man to the Word of God. Notice he doesn't try to convince him to be Jewish. He wasn't trying to make him believe and give him the, you know, the opportunity to be like Philip. He simply gave him the opportunity to know. If we believe these things are truly right, why do we believe that these are right? Why do you believe and claim to believe what you do this morning? If someone asks you, are you a Christian? You go, yes. Why? Why do you believe what you do? Is it because God has worked in your life? Is it because you've actually experienced these things to be true? If that's true, then you never have to impose or convert or coerce or guilt someone into. It's never a bait and switch. We should never condition our evangelism. God help us if in 2022, modern Christianity is, I'll be nice to you so you'll believe like I do. Or, if you don't respond to me, then I move on or stop being nice or doing life with you. And that's far too much of what our evangelism is. We are called to share the truth. To tell others about Jesus. To live a life of love towards others. We're to pray for all people. We're to pray that God will open their eyes like He opened ours. And friends, we can share and we can pray, but we can't make. That was never the, the, the ask. But I love the last of the narrative, and we shouldn't gloss over it in verses 35 to 39, because notice the invitation and response to commitment. So evangelism is God initiated, evangelism is our obedience, evangelism is about persuasion, not coercion, but evangelism does include an invitation and a response. Philip shared the gospel with this Ethiopian treasurer. And no doubt, and answering the questions in that conversation, told him about Jesus and even invited him to trust him. And is it amazing that this guy, when he wanted to openly commit and accept Christ, they just happened to be passing a body of water in a desert place. And you telling me that it's not God initiated? Right? Like my testimony. Trying to keep my mother happy, trying to keep my church happy, trying to act Christian, trying to be good enough. Even though I was living one foot in the church and one foot in the world, I was tired and sick of the hypocrisy and the lies and the broken promises and all the fakeness. 
And I was fed up with it all, and I was really, really exhausted on a Saturday night, and I knew my mother was going to call me and ask me about if I went to church and if I read my Bible. And my attitude was, I will shut my mother up tomorrow, so I'll read some of the Bible, and I'll find a book about Jesus somewhere, and I'll read it. And when mom calls me tomorrow, I can tell her, I read the Bible, I went to church, I'm reading a Christian book, now leave me alone. And wouldn't you know that the spine of the book that I would see in my closet was a book called Lectures to My Students by Charles Spurgeon. And I would take that book off the shelf and open it up to the first chapter. And the title of the first chapter is To Be a Preacher of Grace. You must know grace yourself. And the first Bible verse I read was, He that is a hearer of the word but not a doer is like a man who looks in a mirror and sees there's something wrong and then leaves and forgets what he saw. And it was like my entire life flashed before my eyes. And it wasn't about church hypocrisy anymore. It wasn't about my parents' inconsistencies. It wasn't about, you know, an overbearing Christian school or an ununderstanding youth group. It was about Steve Bray and the fact that every time I opened up that book and read it, it would convict me and I would see ways that I was wrong and then I would convince myself, okay, I've read it, I'm kind of half good with God, now I'm just going to go live my life. And James chapter 1 all of a sudden had power. And I remember telling Jesus that night, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to fake it anymore. I don't want to ride this roller coaster called religion anymore. I want to know Christ. And God in the Spirit said, then you need to trust me. And he changed my life. And this is what Philip did. And so the, the Ethiopian eunuch said, is there anything that hinders me? Now, believe it or not, in some of your Bibles, you have a verse 37. If you've got an ESV or a CSV, you'll probably notice it goes from verse 36 to 38. And it's because verse 37 is likely added. And verse 37 says this, and Philip said, if you do believe with all your heart, you can. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not needed because it's insinuated. When Philip says, I want to get baptized, trust me, in his world, an Ethiopian eunuch for, the, for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, for him to go home and go, I'm following the Nazarene now from Israel, Jesus. That would have cost him something. Maybe even his life. The fact that he wants to get baptized and that he leaves rejoicing means he believed whatever it was Philip told him. And so, what is evangelism, Calvary? Well, I'll tell you what evangelism is not. Evangelism is not doing everything we can get do to get a person to make a decision. Evangelism is not the same as just sharing your testimony. Evangelism is not just having an argument about religion or Christianity. Religion is not just doing works of charity. Now, all of those things is a part of evangelism. But it's not just those things. Because remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? He says, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. If you ever wanted a verse for why most of the televangelists on television are frauds, it's because they don't obey this verse. They, re they don't renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. They are walking in craftiness, and they are handling the word of God deceitfully. 
Paul says, not so with us, but the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Now, there's a novel idea for the modern church. Instead of us yelling and condemning the world, why don't we start living like Christians and saying, I ask you, do you not see how God has changed me? Instead of us saying, you need to be like me, and then immediately they see that you are not perfect. But how about, hey, I am about as messed up as it gets, but I do want you to know God has changed me. Shouldn't we go back to maybe some of our kids' Sunday school songs? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Right? Well, why are we walking around like, he doesn't need to work on me anymore. I'm here to work on you. That's not biblical evangelism. The song doesn't go, he sent me to work on you to make you more like me. That's not the song. That's not a biblical evangelism. What is evangelism? It's speaking words. It's sharing news. It's being faithful to God by presenting the good news just like Philip did. Evangelism is presenting the good news freely and trusting God to change people because salvation comes from the Lord. Now, how do you evangelize? Well, we've got to be honest with people just like Philip was. We tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, and we tell them that they must repent, confess of their sin, and trust in Jesus. And we tell them the decision is urgent, because we don't know what our life is going to be like. And we tell them the decision is worth it. And then we love them, and we pray for them, we tell them anytime they ask, and we do life as an evangelist. And we need to be a church. And so very quickly, Calvary, let me finish with this. Does the way you speak to others about Jesus actually include the gospel? Or are we just simply busy trying to convince people that our religion is better than somebody else's? Every generation wants to rebel. But can you imagine for all of what we're saying about our modern culture, what if, and look around, we have a very young church. These young people, I love them, they make me feel young. But I want to ask, what if you, young people, your rebellion was to believe that Jesus actually is the only way? What if your rebellion was to believe that the Bible is actually authoritative, that there actually is absolute truth, that God actually defines marriage and relationship and sex and gender? But that doesn't mean we got to be morons or hurtful. David Pallison writes, a troubled person is a person to love, not a problem to fix. And people often change slowly and struggle deeply. Calvary Baptist, does the way you speak to others about Jesus demonstrate your confidence in the gospel itself or in the confidence of yourself or your denomination? So we need to know the gospel and we need to desire it and take it and share it and guard it. And then finally, Calvary, how would St. John's in Newfoundland and Labrador perceive us if we as members were truly committed to each other? Jesus told his disciples in John 13, a new commandment I leave with you, that you love one another. Even as God has loved me, so have I loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. You know, one of the reasons we struggle with evangelism is because we struggle to love each other inside this room. 
In John chapter 17, when he was praying, I can't wait to preach this to you in the fall. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's Jesus Christ praying for every one of you in this room. And he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our love for each other proves to the world we're actually his disciples. Our unity around the gospel and evangelism actually proves that Jesus is God. By the way, that means no megaphones, no nasty Twitter accounts, no Instagram soapboxes, and no Facebook manipulation. And I dare say, if you're like it, and if social media is your addiction, get off of it and get to church or get on your knees. Or get in the word of God. Because one day the day is coming. That there shall be a congregation. That shall never break up. Or split. There's coming a Sunday that shall never end. And a song of praise that shall never cease. And an assembly. That shall never be dispersed. And our job. Is to go tell people. That God loves them. Christ lived and died for them. His spirit will change them. Because he's done it to me. Has he done it to you? That's something for us to think about. As the music team comes, let's pray. Almighty God, I pray once again that my friends and family here in this room and online will have heard a better sermon than I could preach. Lord, we're going to sing another song about you and about all the things that we believe. But Lord, if there's any man or woman in this room and they're like, you know what, Steve, I... I know I've been around Christianity. I don't know if I know Jesus. Then I pray that they will feel safe and wanted and free to come ask questions or ask for prayer or ask for an explanation. Lord, I pray for every man and woman in this room that claims to be a Christian. And Lord, I know from the oldest to the youngest, we have all had various experiences with life in church. But Lord, maybe today is the time that your word is convicting us that excuses need to stop. We can't blame our upbringing. We can't blame that bad pastor or that overzealous Sunday school teacher. What are we going to do with you? Have we been changed and transformed by Christ? So Lord, help us to be a biblically healthy post-COVID church. And may you get all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.